Welcome to Center Ice, the Hockey Alberta podcast, home to all things hockey in our great province. Now, here's your host, Ted Emmett. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Center Ice Podcast. I'm Ted Emmett. Happy to be here for episode 10. Doesn't seem like a lot, but hitting double digits is no small feat. We have a fantastic couple of guests for this episode as well. Our province boasts many incredible players on the male and female side of the game and coaches as well. But as we talk about quite often, there's more to the game than just playing it. Alberta is not only home to a large number of successful broadcasters, but also some of the very best in the game. Uh, today, we're going to talk to two absolute legends, longtime Medicine Hat Tigers play-by-play announcer Bob Ridley, who has over 4,000 Western Hockey League games to his name, and the one and only Ron McLean, host of Hockey Night in Canada and Hometown Hockey. So for myself, a huge honor there, and as you can imagine, a pair of fantastic interviews. Can't wait to get to those. And once again, a little update on the state of, I guess, everything around the province. As always, little disclaimer here as things could and very likely will change between the time I'm recording this and the time you're listening to it. So again, take this with a grain of salt. But at the moment, although restrictions did tighten up around the province uh, in a lot of ways, especially restaurants, as we saw, pretty much status quo for team sports, meaning the same restrictions for team practices still remain in place. So as always, head to hockeyalberta.ca to brush up on those. And that's it for that part so without any further ado let's get to the fun stuff and with us now is a man who really needs no introduction in the hockey world but i'm gonna give him one anyways his name is synonymous with hockey in our country and as the host of hockey night in canada since 1986 he really transcends the game and has become a national icon. Although he's a transplanted Albertan, he got his start in media right here in Red Deer. He's an honored member of the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame. And a lesser known fact, he's also an official. You've probably already guessed it. I'm speaking of the one and only Ron McLean. Ron, thank you so much for joining us. It's uh, not not often that you get the chance to interview one of the ultimate interviewers in our game and really in media. I was saying, Ted, the problem with us, those of us who are in broadcasting, is as interviewees, we normally ramble. Even uh, I heard from Matt Galloway as a great broadcaster on Radio 1 for the CBC and we had him on Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada this year. Uh, he had interviewed Barack Obama and we were talking a little bit about uh, things that are going on in our world and he just said he pins on his microphone a, a post-it note that says stop talking. <laughs> and I wish I'd have had that advice uh, 40 years ago. But anyway, great to be here and thank you so much for Hockey for Life. Yeah, and and we, we certainly appreciate it. To start off, you know, we know your connection to the game through the media, but can you kind of explain to us your involvement in hockey over the years, uh, both in media and as a, uh, and as an official? Well, it started in Whitehorse, Yukon. So my father was military, seven years uh, in the Army and then into the Air Force for 30. And we were stationed in Whitehorse, Yukon when I was four years old, 1964. And there was a backyard rink across the street. A neighbor, Dwight Riondo, picked me up and said, Ron, we're going over to Billy Clements and we're going to skate. I didn't know how to skate, but that's how it started. And I fell in love with the game. And it's weird because in Yukon in the 1960s, there was no live television. The Annex satellite didn't go up in the sky until 1967-68. So I actually watched the 67 Leafs Cup victory on videotape. But I, I grew to love it through Hockey Night in Canada, like so many of us. And then ultimately, when I was 10, Dad's getting out of the Air Force and chooses Alberta as uh, the land of opportunity and finds his work in Red Deer with the K Division of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And by now, I was hook, line, and sinker into playing hockey, and I got on at a little community rink in Eastview and Grandview. Both had community rinks, and I started skating there and played my what would be probably U9 hockey. And yeah, I had great coaches, Jack Small and Jerry Baker. And yeah, just so many great memories of playing the game. And then ultimately, I had a lucky break. Uh, a buddy of mine at high school was working at the local radio station, CKRD. He couldn't go in. He was sick. So he said, phone Ron. It's just operating, button pushing. Uh, Ron will figure it out. And and that's how I got into the broadcasting end of it. And one thing led to another. Uh, eventually, they asked me to be a hockey host. And here I am. That's a good segue into my next question. Because your origin story as a broadcaster is, is a little different. You know, a lot of people, they come out of high school, they know that's what they want to do. And yours was, as you mentioned, kind of an accident. So what was your plan originally going out of high school? Or was it, was it still eventually to kind of be in the media and the sports side? 
No, definitely not to teach. Uh, I had a teacher in grade seven at St. Thomas Aquinas in Red Deer, and he was laying out the curriculum for all our students in grade seven. And he said, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. we'll do spelling. And we all groaned. And he says, you don't like spelling? And we said, no, we hate spelling. He said, well, I'll give you a word. And if any of you can spell the word, we won't do spelling. And the word was Albuquerque. And luckily, Gerald Doria, a buddy of mine, had been in New Mexico that summer. So he got it right. And I can't spell to this day, but I loved that teacher having that connection with the kids. You know, the, the trust that he built up that day gave me the bug to be a teacher. And so that was my goal was to pursue education, getting out of grade 12. But I got sort of that divine intervention happened while I was still in grade 10, go down and work part time at a radio station. And then I got that bug. I gutted my way through a, a lot of anxiety, a lot of panic attacks. And yeah, just loved the idea of radio as uh, making someone's day. So I stuck with it. And I know as a resident of Red Deer and in Alberta, you know, we're all pretty proud and it's really cool that that you got your start here. And of course, as I mentioned too, you're recently inducted into the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. So how important are those Alberta roots to you? Obviously, you spend a lot of time in Ontario now, but you know, getting your start in Alberta, how important is that to you to, to always keep that in mind and and that, that you get honored for those roots as well? For sure. I always say the uh, getting a bronze from the Calgary Stampede Committee one year was one of the most you know special rewards because uh, I just felt like, you know, it's hard to be a prophet in your hometown. So that's nice. And same with the recognition from the hall uh, in Alberta. You know, we moved east because the two hour layover, you'd have to fly Calgary uh, down to Toronto, two hour layover, and then on into New York or Boston. And it was really difficult to be on Hockey Night in Canada and do that. So it made sense logistically to be in the center of the country. Uh, that's the only reason we moved in the first place. And it's lovely. I have no complaints about Oakville where I live now, but I, I miss the West desperately. You know, in a dream world, I would I would be able to afford a spot in Banff or Canmore and, and spend half our time out uh, in the Rockies. It's just a Red Deer is a great community, as I don't have to tell you. It's a perfect place to raise a family. And I was so lucky to have Bernie Haley as a referee to look up to. Uh, there's a guy that I always think is, uh, is very underrated in terms of uh, his effect on hockey in central Alberta because he was a ref and did Lake Placid and great coaches and great, you know, Dennis Dostopowich was the uh, guy in charge of refereeing when I was there. And I learned to really, Stu Hitman was a ref I really looked up to. And, you know, all those influences uh, have touched my life in eternity. And now when we're talking about honoring your roots, it's something you've you've had the incredible opportunity to do now for a number of years as the host of Hometown Hockey. How much has mm-hmm. that meant to you to be able to, you know, travel around the country and really dig deep into the game and find out what the game means to people in, in all these different communities? Well, it's so true. You know, Ted, we went out to Grand Falls, Windsor, Newfoundland. And for me, I had to leave Toronto on a Sunday morning, fly to Halifax, then fly to St. John's, Newfoundland, then fly to Gander, and then drive 90 minutes to get to Grand Falls, Windsor. And I thought, what the hell am I going to talk about in Grand Falls, Windsor. But that year they won the Allen Cup. Uh, That's the home of the first Newfoundlander to play in the NHL. Alec Faulkner's from Bishop Falls, which is right there. They had an incredible hockey scene. Uh, They broadcast every minor hockey game in Grand Falls, Windsor is on local cable TV. So, I mean, that passion for the game, no one would have known about without Rogers Hometown Hockey. George Scott, their play-by-play guy, was incredible. He was every bit Bob Cole, Jim Houston, Chris Cuthbert. Yeah. So, it's it's a great show. It reminds me of being a young boy in Red Deer and living vicariously uh, through wide world of sports. And anytime there was a Pan Am Games or an Olympic Games, that was, or even the Summit Series or the Canada Cups, these were a glimpse into how the rest of the world was. And you really were grateful for that. And that's why I think the Hometown Hockey Show is is such a great way to to reflect Canadians to one another. And when you talk about too, you know, all, all the flights, the layovers, the traveling, I think on some level, everyone understands how hectic the life of a broadcaster can be, especially on your level, being on Hockey Night in Canada. But I think most still underestimate just how exhausting it can be and how much time it can take. So you obviously not only need a, a very understanding family for that mm-hmm. as well, but also the passion for the game. So really what fuels your passion for hockey and, and keeps you going as a broadcaster? Well, you're first of all, you're really right about my wife, Carrie, has had to endure. It's not just the travel, but the prep time, right? I think anybody who's obsessed with uh, doing a good job knows that the work you put in is kind of a 24-7 obligation. There's that sort of Damocles hanging over your shoulder all the time thinking, hell, I'm not ready. I'm not ready enough. So you're forever researching and prepping and you enjoy it, but it's at the expense of maybe some time spent with family. Anyway, that's Carrie's been great. She's a hockey fan. She's a player. And and in my case, I still play beer league hockey twice a week and that's sacrosanct. You know, I have to carve out that little uh, Tuesday and Wednesday to play and go for beer afterwards. And I get a lot of my greatest ideas 
from from those guys, you know, just sitting around chewing the fat about the game. So I, I think that's, you know, it, it is a gift to learn to skate. I experience it when I do that Battle of the Blades TV show. I'm, I'm just so grateful that I stumbled into knowing how to skate. Uh, and here I am in my 60s and, you know, you get on the ice with Kurt Browning or Katarina Gordieva, and you just can't believe it. It's the best feeling. It's the only one where you can go backwards. You know, I, I love LeBron James, but he can't go backwards like we can. So I always sort of rationalize that's the that's the big surprise that people who don't skate don't know. And as I alluded to earlier, it may come as a surprise to many to know that you're an official as well. And I think the Alberta officials community would be pretty angry with me if, if we didn't talk about that a little bit. So really touch on that a bit. Starting at the beginning, what made you get into that side of the game? Well, it was back in the 70s, we didn't have face masks, not even visors. And I was just starting my radio career at CKRD and I was doing a little bit of on-air work and I was deathly afraid. I already had lost one incisor, uh, a CFL Calgary Stampede or Stu Laird when he played minor hockey and Red Deer fell on top of me and knocked out one of my teeth. And I just was worried I'd have all my teeth, you know, caved in by a stick or the ice and it would really affect my radio career, my burgeoning profession. So a friend said, why don't you move into refereeing? I was cut by the Red Deer wrestlers and I knew, you know, was pretty much, I was playing one notch below the midget Optimus Chiefs, which is AAA. Uh, so I kind of felt like my career was going nowhere that way. And he said, try refing. It's a great way to be in the game. And I loved it. I, I truly, you know, you get yelled at for sure, but your feeling of contribution is immense. Working with the players and the coaches, you know, Ken Hitchcock was in this year's class. I mean, he was a dear friend of Dave Manning. Dave was the coach of the midget triple A's when I was a referee. And I just loved working with him. And Harold Jeske was coach of the Bantam triple A's. And you you just felt like between the, the two coaches and the three officials back there, and we had one ref and two linesmen, you could really facilitate something special. And I, I never lost that joy. I just got a little bit old. My eyes started to go and and life got busy and the lockout happened in 04, 05. But for 23 years, it was a joy of my life. And so with being an official, being on the other side of the game, how has that helped you as, as a broadcaster and as an analyst as well, now seeing kind of the game from both sides? Well, probably more, Ted, in the in the ethical sense. Uh, you understand that your intentions are good, but no matter how good your intentions, half the uh, crowd and half the players are going to hate your decision, and the other half is going to love your decision. Uh, and that really teaches you to accept, uh, you know, to build a bit of a thin, thick skin so that when you're doing what you believe is right, you understand it won't always be met with approval. So that was the great gift of refereeing is to, uh, to kind of learn to have a stiff upper lip when, in fact, you're you're taking a lot of heat for a decision you've rendered. And, and you don't go in there, uh, you know, convinced of yourself 100% of the time. I worked a lot with the coaches to explain, you know, I, I would even take back a penalty call. I, I have actually put my arm in the air, called the two minutes and then said, no, that's wrong. I jumped the gun. I anticipated it wasn't a, you know, trip. My, my bad. We're not calling that penalty. And, you know, I have to then go and explain it to the coach why I'm changing my mind. But I, I felt like that was an important dialogue and that I have applied to my broadcasting is, you know, to always have those hard conversations and open conversations. And yeah, it was no greater feeling. Honestly, standing at center ice during O Canada with uh, players lined up at the blue line ahead of a playoff game in uh, junior A or even junior C, I have some of my best memories are junior C. What a feeling and uh, what an obligation. And and because it is, you know, that's all, all kind of freedom comes with responsibility. And I think refereeing is a is a fantastic way to teach uh, especially young men and women how to to manage those kinds of situations. And a couple of pieces of wisdom in there already, but do you have any advice now for any of the, the up and coming or just ongoing officials here in Alberta? Well, there's a lot of things, you know, try to be fresh. Don't overdo it. If you, I found if I officiated too many big games in a row, like three back-to-back -back days, the third period of the third day, I started to lose my focus. So focus is everything. Whatever you can do to maintain your concentration when you're on the ice. And then after maintaining your focus, maintain your grace. Uh, it's really easy to, you know, want to chirp back or to take it personally, but you are in a role that has to be above that. You know, there is a virtue to refereeing that it, it must not accept necessarily, you know, something you can give a 10 minute misconduct if required, but you need to really work on uh, maintaining. And this is honestly, as we come through the pandemic, that's a great skill to just cope with, you know, things like pandemics is, is that acceptance that people, um, you know, fly off the handle because they're they're in the pressure situation that they are, and they're on tinderhooks. So, so understand that, and and be a little bit forgiving if you can, uh, without you know compromising the safety or well being of the game. So, grace and focus. Work on those. Yeah, that's that's great advice, and I know I know all the the officials around the province will be uh, 
be really appreciative to hear that from you as well. So, so thank you for that. And we're going to jump back a bit now to your roots a little more and growing up around the game. And this might be a hard one to pin down. Do you have any specific kind of fond memories of growing up playing the game that, that still stick with you today? Yeah, lots of things. Uh, I remember in Red Deer, Christmas Eve was very special. My mom and dad, we were Roman Catholic. So mom and dad would take me to midnight mass, but they would go lie down around eight o'clock in the evening on Christmas Eve. And I would walk over to Joseph Welsh Elementary and sit in the basket of the net. When I was young enough, it was because I thought I might see Santa's sleigh up in the sky. But later, it was just to go to the rink. Uh, I loved the rink. I spent every waking minute uh, on either Morris Row or Joseph Welsh Elementary rink. Couldn't wait for the warmer weather of February, that first Chinook, and all the pucks would appear on the far side of the boards, and I'd be able to go fetch all those pucks. I just remember my attachment to the rink, you know, having a stick over my shoulder, the skates over the stick, and getting over there to play shinny with, uh, and I remember a guy named Mac Tweeten. I played with his brother, Kirk, but Mac was the fastest. And one day I caught him. He was on a breakaway and I caught him. And he said, yes, Ron, you caught me, but I had the puck. When you can catch me and you have the puck, uh, then you will be the fastest. So little things like that all, all just swirl when I think about Joseph Welsh Elementary and the great gift of you know giving kids an opportunity, which is what rinks do. And this is going to be an even tougher one to pin down. Do you have a favorite memory from all the time you've spent around the game as a broadcaster, maybe uh, just a specific aspect of your career or a specific story? No, I do. Again, and, and it's funny, you know, origins are everything. Uh, I talked a lot about uh, because of the class, uh, the Hall of Fame class, uh, about my time with John Davidson, my rookie year. But for two years, I only did the Calgary Flames regular season games. I didn't work a playoff game until 1986. And that year I got to do Toronto Maple Leafs at St. Louis Blues, first game of the playoffs in St. Louis at the old arena, which they used to call the Checker Dome. And they used to play uh, Budweiser music in there. And the Saints come marching in and it smelled like ammonia, the rink. And I remember I did my little opening to Hockey Night in Canada and I was scared skinny. It was actually 87. So it was the 86, 87 season, but it's the spring of 87. I do my opening and throw it up to Bob Cole and Harry Neal. And then I turn and look through the plexiglass to see the referee drop the puck to begin the game. And honestly, within two seconds, two defensemen were smashed up against the glass right in front of me. And I thought, oh my God, the intensity. And they're going to have to do this for nine weeks. And I really got an appreciation of what it takes to win a Stanley Cup. And yeah, that that is by far the signature moment for me. There's a lot of great Olympics, you know, the Canada win in 2002, both the men's and women's. But I I just remember gaining a sense of what it takes to win a Stanley Cup that night in St. Louis. I always say that's the highlight of the career. And I know, you know, as a broadcaster and part of what makes you so great at your job and and why you've been with Hockey Night in Canada for so long is you are a storyteller. And I think we could have a a four hour show here at least with you telling stories. But I know, you know, when we talk about the the Hall of Fame class and you you just shared a bit of one there. Do you have any stories, you know, too, about uh, our upcoming class like like John Davidson or or anyone there that you can share? Sure. Uh, well, let's start with JD. As I was saying to, to him for, for the presentation video, I attribute my start and uh, any success I had early to John. Uh, like the movie To Serve With Love, uh, How Do You Thank Someone Who's Taken You From Crayons to Perfume was a, was a song by Lulu in 67 that went to number one. And I feel that way about John mentoring me. He taught me as I got on the bus after my very first broadcast in Washington, and I was pleased as punch with myself. I wasn't great by any stretch, but at least I got through it. And I was kind of all smiles. And he said, Ron, Tone it down just a bit. When the Flames lose, we have to let on that we're as unhappy as they are. So if we're going to get on their team bus to go to the airport and get on their charter flight, we have to be a little more subdued after a loss. And and he just kept teaching me every step of the way. Ken Hitchcock, my vivid memory of Ken is the 99 Cup run. Moments before a critical game in the final, he was talking about Sylvan Lake and Jarvis Bay. And it was almost like Cassie Campbell Pascal's team. They had a happy place. Uh, in 2002, they had come up with Emerald Lake. That was their happy place. And if anything went wrong, somebody was to say Emerald Lake. And it did go wrong. There was eight straight penalties called against the Canadians in the gold medal game. And Dana Antel was the one who finally said uh, Emerald Lake. And everybody got thinking, oh, yeah, that's right. We were supposed to think about Emerald Lake if it, times got tough. Uh, and so I, I wonder if Ken Hitchcock's was Jarvis Bay and Sylvan Lake. But anyway, he got the cup. And that's a great great memory. And Jamie McCowan's father, here's another Hall of Famer who uh, was great to me in my time in Calgary. You know, something that most people may not know, but when I broke in, Ted, uh, the Calgary Flames were coached by Badger Bob Johnson. And Jamie was one of 12 U.S. college kids 
on the Calgary Flames. So you're a young interviewer. I'm 24 years old. I'm hoping to have a good interview. And 12 of the guys have gone to college. So I'm not stereotyping, but chances are if they've gone to U.S. colleges, they're talkers. And they were. Eddie Beers, University of Denver, Perry Berezan, University of North Dakota, Steve Bozak, Northern Michigan, Gino Cavallini, Bowling Green, Mike Eaves, Wisconsin, Joel Otto, Bemidji State, Colin Patterson, Clarkson University, Kerry Wilson, Dartmouth College, Charlie Bourgeois, University of Moncton, Jamie McCowan, Ohio State, Neil Sheehy, Harvard, Magic, Bruce Eakins was only there for a couple of games, but he was Wisconsin, and Badger Bob. So I'm sure I was lousy. It's just these guys were all great talkers and it made for great interviews. And and Jamie's father, uh, he was he ran the New Market uh, Junior A franchise down here. And when I would go into referee there, he always had a big smile and made me feel at home. I would do his Christmas showcase tournament. First game on Boxing Day, I'd always do that. That's a great family. And uh, the Clarks, you know, Olds Grizzlies were a huge part of my, <laughs> I can remember doing a game with Frank Ryan in Olds against the Red Deer Rustlers, of course, and I went into triple overtime and Frank had to pee in a popcorn cup. <laughs> we couldn't get away from the microphones. And uh, so we're up, I'm sorry to tell you, Bob, but we kind of stained the, uh, the beautiful new facility back in the day with a pee in a popcorn cup. And Randy Gregg, you know, what can I say? All my Olympic experiences connects me as much to uh, his children as to Randy, but I do remember some really nice conversations with Randy at uh, Barry T's after they won the cup in 88. And and he was just kind of talking to me about coach's corner and the role that you have uh, in, in advocating for fair play and things like that. Amazing. So yeah, it's a great class and I could, I could weave a story probably about all of them. Yeah. I, I could listen to a story about all of them too. And it's funny when you mention the old Grizzlies and, you know, in my, my very short stint as uh, you know, calling games in the AJHL or as a color commentator, I know the, uh, the popcorn cup incident, I think a, a lot of people have been there and, uh, and the other one too, I don't know when, if you were in olds, if they had an away broadcasting booth, I know when I was there only seven years ago or so, the, the away guys, we just stood in, in the stands in the corner and I, uh, you know what? And I, I fell down and I brought all our setup with us and we were off the air for about a period because I slipped off the steps. So it's, uh, yeah, that's another one I think I could probably talk to you about for hours is, is the away ranks. Yeah. Well, the thing with us, Ted, we, we were, uh, the only broadcast. I don't think the Grizzlies had a broadcast. Uh, this is, uh, so I'm talking 1983, maybe 1982. And we were in the glass cased press box. There was no, you know, you couldn't, I can't, I think we had the window shut just because of the noise, which makes no sense. You think you'd want the crowd noise, but in, in those years, I'm sure it's the same, but the seats were all on the one side. Is that how it is to oh, this yeah. day? I yeah. Don't, yeah. So yeah, we, we would, I remember, this is a funny story of my first uh, Red Deer Ruster broadcast as a color man. Now imagine I'm like 21, 22 years old. I could bloody well play on the team and I'm doing the color and I was doing it up in uh, Fort McMurray. No, sorry, in uh, Fort Saskatchewan. And uh, we start the broadcast and we had some technical problems. It was a real simple setup, alligator clips to hardwire a telephone receiver to make it into a radio mixer. And I uh, had lots of technical problems. And finally we get sorted out about five minutes to air and we go on the radio and we start the game and Fort Saskatchewan is coming at us, the traders, and I can't see their numbers none of their numbers, and neither can Frank Ryan. So he's having a horrible time trying to do play-by-play, and I'm having a horrible time. So there was a good player named Sid Cranston, and he he was – every highlight, I, I talked about Sid Cranston because I couldn't see who the hell was on Fort Saskatchewan except in the second period. But that's a that's a profound memory of and, – and even the road trips, you know, just stopping for burgers, whether it was Peters in Calgary or the Saratoga in Edmonton. Half of your concerns as a broadcaster were, where do we eat after the game? <laughs> Yeah, see, I love stuff like that because it shows too, you know, even after all these years, you really never do forget where you come from. Oh. So it's it, it's always great to hear those stories. And yeah, the, the early days ones are always uh, always pretty funny to hear. So kind of jumping around, I probably could have organized these questions a bit better to, to flow. But uh, another one I'm just thinking now is how have you seen the game change in, in all your years calling hockey and being an analyst? Obviously, it's it's changed a lot. Maybe what's the one biggest change from, you know, the, the 80s to now? Well, I think it was the uh, shift in how the people watching hockey wanted it called. Because I was a referee, the the chant was always let them play. And anytime you intervened and called penalties, you were the bad guy. That changed. Uh, with the Shanahan Summit in 2005-06, 
when they came through the National Hockey League with their crackdown on obstruction and interference and hooking and holding, there was actually an appetite from everybody to see that happen. And I, I found it actually very challenging myself as a referee. It was kind of the end of game management. And it, I thought it went a little too far in those particular years right after, but I think they've settled on a good place now. And I think that's the biggest shift is that people... You know, you you see, I mean, fighting's up this year. I don't know if it's familiarity breeds contempt, uh, but I think as a general uh, sense, the the social uh, justice approach to hockey is let's make it fair for the skilled person. Let's not really accentuate the roughness. That is a that is a paradigm shift. So, and as as David Adams Richards, who's a senator now, but a great writer from Miramichi, New Brunswick, <laughs> he wrote a book called Hockey Dreams, and he talked a lot about you know the ethics or the ethos of hockey. And I asked him one day, you know, after the change, and I said, "Do you like it?" He says, "Ron, I've come to the conclusion: no matter what they do to the game, we get used to it, and we will still love the game." And I think that's really true. And I guess last question here, because I, again, I could keep you for a, a long time, but I know you're a busy man, so I won't. Um, we're going to ask you to impart some wisdom one more time, because when we talk about hockey for life, we're not just talking about playing the game for as long as you possibly can, which of course is, is one big aspect of it, but we're talking about finding that lifelong connection with the game in any, in any way. You know, for you, it is obviously you said you still play beer league hockey, but for you, a lot of it is through broadcasting. You know, I, I can relate to that. Hockey's been a huge, part of my life through the media side uh, for the last 10 years of my life and has really helped shaped who I am now. So in saying all that and in being a part of the game in so many ways, what's probably maybe the one or one or two of the biggest life lessons you've taken from the game? Well, you know, if I was going to answer that question, I would do it this way. Uh, for all these years, like I'll be 61 on April the 12th. I often wonder, you know, is it worth it? Did, did you pick the right vocation? Uh, was it kind of frivolous? Was it significant? Was it meaningful to be involved in hockey your whole life? And then the Humboldt crash happened. And I saw Kevin Geringer, the president of the team, who was a lifelong educator, have to deal with the media. And I heard the stories about Darcy Hogan, the coach, Paul Dick is coach of the Steinbach Pistons in the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. And he had phone messages that he had saved from Darcy Hogan. They were little uh, aphorisms or maxims, ideas that he would pass on to Paul to give him encouragement. Uh, and I went to the Royal University Hospital 36 hours after the crash, met all the families. I remember Braden Cameron getting out of his bed and saying, Ron, I'm going to come back next year and I'm going to honor our captain, Logan Schatz. And then I met all these families and got to know the players. And I thought to myself, wow, this is one hockey team, a junior outfit in rural Saskatchewan. And it is everything you would want yourself to be and anybody in your family to be. It is the greatest example of teamwork and leadership and passion. It was just unbelievably beautiful to to learn about Humboldt. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a horrible thing to have had to have experienced uh, to have this epiphany. But they are, for me, uh, you know, the greatest. And, and Darcy Hogan had the line, Ted, that I think you, you just keep this with you anytime you're feeling stressed. He always said, take care of the seconds and the minutes take care of themselves. So that was obviously for his players to go out and focus on the uh, task at hand on a shift. But I think that is the the thing you know, that you learn in, in hockey is to take care of the seconds and the minutes to look after themselves. Yeah, that that's, it's a great life skill. And you think of the Broncos, you know, even, even Gretzky, when Walter died recently, that was another guy for whom I, you know, was it worth it? The answer is a resounding yes. Anytime I think about a life in hockey, I think about Gretzky and I think about Humboldt and I think, oh, for sure it's worth it. And uh, I think that's a, a powerful note to end on because yeah, is you know, a, a tragic incident with the Humboldt Broncos, but really, really showed and shows the power of hockey and the hockey community and, and, and what the game can do. So we appreciate mm -hmm. that. And as I said, a, a really great note to end on and we won't keep you as much as I would love to, uh, but we really really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us, uh, share some stories, share your wisdom as well, and, you know, touch on the officiating side of the game as well. So, uh, you know, you have so much experience in the game that, that I think a lot of people can learn from and, and aspire to, uh, you know, reach the levels that you've reached in, in whatever they do. So thank you for doing this. And of course, thank you for everything you do for, for hockey across our country. It's totally the same, Ted. Thank you. And uh, we'll do it again. That's the easy part. Anytime.
A huge thank you to Ron McLean for taking the time out of his hectic schedule to chat with us. Obviously, being a media guy myself, someone I've always looked up to and really will continue to look up to, uh, what gets me about about Ron and that interview is with all he's done in his life, the places he's seen, the people he's met, the things that he's accomplished, he still speaks so fondly of his time here in Red Deer growing up, playing hockey in the neighborhood rinks, and if that doesn't personify hockey for life, I don't really know what does. So few people carry that same passion for the game and really life as Ron McLean. So pretty, pretty humbling experience to get to see that up close. And hopefully you enjoyed that as much as I did. And we have another great chat coming up with Bob Ridley, but you know what's coming first. It's time to catch up on what's going on around the province. So here's what you need to know. Let's start off with a couple pieces of good news. Two Team Alberta alumni are among the 47 athletes invited to the National Women's Team Selection Camp in Halifax with a shot to suit up for Team Canada at the IIHF Women's World Championship in May. So congratulations are in order for Emirates Moshmeyer and Megan Mickelson, who are of course no strangers to donning the Maple Leaf, so best of luck to the two of them at camp. And more congratulations are in order for Team Alberta alumni Olin Zellweger, Corson Kulemans, and Dylan Gunther, who were recently named to the National Men's Under-18 team for the 2021 IIHF U18 World Championship in Texas. AJ Merrily of Beaumont will also be part of the team as equipment manager. And a pretty cool one here is Hockey Alberta's own Matt Weninger, the South Regional Centre Manager, got the call as the team's goaltending consultant, so exciting stuff there. Congratulations to everyone and best of luck in Texas. Now in the category of far less exciting news, but important news nonetheless, the 2021 Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame induction gala has been postponed to 2022. You heard us talk a bit about the class of 2020 in the interview with Ron McLean, uh, Bill Busick, Cassie Campbell-Pascal, Bob Clark, John Davidson, Dr. Randy Gregg, Ken Hitchcock, Jamie McCown, and the 1974-75 Lethbridge native sons, who are all slated to be inducted this July after already being postponed in 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic will now be inducted in 2022. Uh, the, the decision was made to postpone it yet again this year, not only to ensure the inductees can enjoy the night with their family and friends, but obviously can do so in a safe manner. So uh, a little bit longer wait, well, a long wait, another year for all those inductees, but probably worth the wait. Uh, a great induction class there and really looking forward to that ceremony. And this one's a little time sensitive, but still worth getting the word out when we can. Hockey Alberta's 2021 Future Coaches program is set for the weekend of April 24th and 25th. And of course, has shifted to an online event this year, as, as most of Hockey Alberta's events have. U18 level male and female hockey players who are interested in making the jump to coaching have the opportunity to sign up for the Future Coaches program to learn more about coaching, skill instruction, and leadership. So if you or someone you know is interested and you're hearing this before April 24th, head to HockeyAlberta.ca for more information. And the Future Coaches program is fueled by Gatorade, so a special shout out to them for helping make this happen. That's what you need to know. As always, head to HockeyAlberta.ca for more information. And now we're going to throw to my chat with longtime Medicine Hat Tigers broadcaster Bob Ridley. But I want to preface it with a little bit of a story because when I was in broadcasting school at SAID in Calgary, just about 10 years ago now, I did my internship at Chat TV down in Medicine Hat uh, near the end of my schooling. Had the opportunity to work with and learn a lot from Bob, who back then had already cemented himself as a hockey legend. So fast forward to now, goes without saying that he's only continued to add to that legacy. Uh, so so it was pretty cool for me to get to interview him all these years later. So without further ado, here it is. And when you're talking about broadcasting legends and longevity in the game, there's few out there who embody that more than our next guest. He's the first and only play-by-play -play voice in the 50-year history of the Medicine Hat Tigers. And in that time, he's missed just one game way back in the early 70s and called his 4,000 game this February, which is absolutely incredible. And on top of all that, he also drove the Medicine Hat Tigers bus for over 40 years. He's a two-time honored member of the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame, both with the class of 2019 as an in individual and with the 1986-87 and 87-88 Tigers teams and now the Western Hockey League has named a Media Excellence Award after him. Obviously he was the first ever recipient of that. It's Bob Ridley and Bob thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's my pleasure guys. 
And got to kind of catch my breath from your intro there. Obviously, you've done a lot in the game and, you know, over 50 years as the Tigers broadcaster is incredible. And normally we ask our guests just to outline the ways they're involved in hockey. With you, it's pretty obvious 50 years with the Tigers on the broadcasting side. So starting from the start, how did you get involved with with the Tigers and, and how has your role evolved since then? Well, I happen to be very fortunate. I was in Medicinette at the time broadcasting the old uh, Senior Blades hockey and uh, they're in the Western Senior Hockey League. And then that uh, link kind of folded. And of course, uh, our arena burnt down, old Memorial Arena burnt down and there was a year without hockey and the new arena was built and they were looking for a new league to play in. And uh, Bill Hunter and of course, Scotty Monroe, they looked at Medicinette, brand new rink. They were a great addition to the uh, Western Canada Junior Hockey League was called at that time. And of course, uh, the owners of the Joyline Blades decided to go into major junior hockey and uh, they got the franchise and uh, the rest is history. That started in 1970 and we've been strong ever since. And before that, growing up as well, what what was your connection to the game? Uh, did you play? Were you involved in it in any other way as well? Yes, I played hockey. I'm from the Drumheller area. I played hockey uh, right up till juvenile and then decided, hey, I'm not uh, going to make a living playing this game because I'm not that good. So I thought, well, maybe there's a chance that uh, I couldn't get involved as a play-by-play guy. I uh, went to Montreal College in Calgary at that time. They had a, a real nice uh, radio and television program and got involved with that and uh, moved elsewhere and was a rock and roll disc jockey. And then uh, at that particular time, uh, the sports director of that radio station in Swift Current uh, decided he was going to move on. So we started broadcasting intermediate hockey. So one thing led to another, wound up in Medicine Hat in 1968 and I'm still here. And do you have any any fond memories growing up playing hockey in Alberta? Just the fact that uh, back then, uh, you know, the things weren't nearly as complicated as they are now. And it was pretty intense hockey, even at the minor hockey level. But I think one thing that uh, I really remember was uh, the passion that you know, and uh, the passion that uh, the players do, especially in the senior hockey ranks. That was like professional hockey back then. There were some uh, tremendous players that played senior hockey, though had uh, uh, gotten too old to play in the NHL and so on. And I, I really remember the, the caliber of hockey. It was fantastic, uh, both at uh, the minor hockey level and also senior hockey. So now, those are real fun memories. And you know, getting to, to work for an Alberta team, too, for 50 years growing up in Alberta, you've obviously been a huge part of the hockey community in this province for a long time. And as I mentioned, you actually managed to get inducted into the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame twice in the same night back in, in 2019. And, I, you know, I can't speculate, but I imagine not too many people have done that. Uh, how important are those Alberta hockey roots to you? And what did it mean to be able to be recognized for it and, and celebrate your achievements in the province? It was fantastic, uh, it was just overwhelming, to be honest with you. Had very mixed emotion, you know, I, because it brought back old memories of the, those great years in 87 and 88 when the Tigers went back-to-back uh, Memorial Cups. And it, what was special about that particular night was the fact that uh, a lot of players I hadn't seen, they moved on, they live elsewhere in the States and also Eastern Canada. The players I hadn't seen since uh, way back in 87 and 88 were there. And uh, we had a real good uh, chit-chat about uh, those glory years, you might say, and also what they're doing now. So, yeah, it was a, a real special time for sure. And like I talked about uh, chatting with Ron McLean as well, the life of a broadcaster is a, a pretty hectic one, can be incredibly busy at times, can be hard on your body, on your mind, and, you know, on your loved ones as well, and on your social life. So with junior hockey, I think it can be even more exhausting. You're not flying, you're on the bus a lot, and, you know, add to it for yourself too, you're, you're driving the bus, you're not just riding the bus, you're driving it. So what has kept you going for these last 50 years and really fuels your passion for hockey? Well, I, I get asked that a whole lot. I'm not sure. It just, uh, I, I love the game and it's uh, something that you do. And you, you get into a routine where there's driving the bus and doing the play-by-play or doing both of them. It's what you do and uh, it's what you enjoy. And probably the thing that uh, I enjoy the most is the friendships I've made over the years with not only the Medicine Tigers, but also executives in the Western Hockey League and so on. It's uh, they become very good friends, and uh, I, I think that's it's not money. It's uh, it's the people that you meet, the friendships that you meet, and 
that's the thing that's kept me going all these years. And and let's talk about your, your side gig a little bit. Uh, you know, the last couple of years, you're not driving the bus anymore. And I know for me, when I hear that, like when I was on the bus, you know, that was kind of my time to unwind, get ready for the game prep, you know, so and so for you, you're driving the bus, you get to the get to where you're going, and then you have to work a game, call a game for three hours. So how, how did you get into that, that gig in the first place? And I guess what kept you behind the wheel for 40 plus years? Well, that's uh, a real good question. I often ask myself, that, especially when you go through blizzards and uh, bad roads and everything else, I kept uh, asking myself, what am I doing this for? You know, but it, like I said before, it's something that you just do and you get into a routine. Probably the thing that the players remember most is me driving the bus. They never heard me broadcast a game because they're playing the game. But those great friendships, we'd have uh, players coming up to the front of the bus, uh, chit-chatting with me and talking about life and talking about hockey and so on. And it's that's the thing that... Uh, really kind of kept me going and made me feel real good about what I was doing. That continual, it became to a point that it just interfered with uh, me getting a job done on the air because what happens was uh, we were driving too many hours and uh, consequently rules came into play whereby you could only drive so many hours and so on. So I had to back away from that and that was a good thing. But those players that uh, used to come up and chit chat with me at the front of the bus uh, will be in my hearts forever. And let's talk about those relationships as well. And, and I know, you know, you have such a, a great view for all these great players coming up and, and great Albertans as well, thinking all the way back to Lanny McDonald. And uh, how how awesome is that for you to be able to be part of those hockey journeys? Because as a, you know, as a junior hockey broadcaster, you see these kids for maybe a max of five years, but then you get to watch so many of them go on and maybe they make the NHL, you know, or maybe they, they go to school, you know, they have a, a great career. But I, I do know you, you stay in contact with a, a lot of those players. So how amazing is is that for you to, to get to be a part of all those journeys? Absolutely. And uh, that was a part and parcel of what has made this such a special career is all the trends. Uh, Landon McDonald, a Hockey Hall of Famer, another former uh, Tiger, became a Hockey Hall of Famer recently. Kenny Holland, the general manager of the Edmonton Oilers. And then another, uh, all of these guys are really special. And there's about 900 of them that have graduated from the Medicine Hat Tigers. But one, one individual that has become uh, and is and was even way back in the day is Kelly Rudy, uh, former Tiger goaltender. Uh, Kelly's uh, part of Hockey Night in Canada, of course, has been for a long time. But also, he's uh, involved with uh, the mental health program uh, here in Alberta and so on. And he's a real proponent of that, a big uh, supporter of that. And it's those kind of people that, uh, like I said, it's not about money. It's about those kind of friendships and those kind of people that you totally admire and glad that they've uh, left hockey, gone on and just become a great citizens here in Alberta. And so 4,000 games under your belt now all for the same team. You've only missed one in, in over 50 years. That's you know mind-blowing to me and that shows the dedication it takes to really be a, a successful broadcaster and you know, it was maybe a milestone you weren't even sure you'd reach because rewind now just over a year ago back to last season, mid-March you're getting ready to do a game number 3,999 I think and I think we all know what happened then. Right? <laughs> Everything shut down so thankfully the WHL was able to get some games in this year you're able to hit that landmark and which again congratulations because that's you know i remember being in in medicine hat and i think there's a you know bob ridley burger where and you know three thousand games is is up in the rafters there and now they can change that to four thousand so what was going through your mind though the whole time in between because that's a pretty long year knowing that okay i'm sitting at three thousand nine hundred ninety ninety eight games and, and what's gonna happen so you know that's got to be pretty hard not knowing if and when the league might start up again yeah, it's uh, pretty frustrating, but, uh, you know, you just wanted the league to start up when it was the right time to do so, when uh, you know, all the protocols could be in place that uh, uh, this COVID thing wouldn't hit any of the players or any of the executives or the coaches or whatever. And uh, the, the, the Western Hockey League, along with the Alberta government, did a tremendous job in making this all happen. So I was happy that it was going to be a safe thing to do and uh, get those uh, two extra games in that would uh, hit the milestone of 4,000. But and I'll tell you, like over the hour, I wonder if this was ever going to happen or not, because this COVID thing just was not going away. But uh, all in all, uh, we're able to get it done. And that's uh, in the past now. And uh, we'll move on and try to set another milestone if we can. And, you know, the game, junior hockey, NHL, the game at every level is changing in a lot of ways. And for 50 years, you had the best seat in the 
house watching the game. And this might be a hard one to, to really narrow down to just one thing, but how have you seen the, the game change and, and evolve in, in the last 50 years? Well, you know something, it seems to change about every five years, a little bit subtly. But uh, back in 1970, when uh, we were going strong, when the Tigers were, uh, you know, stepping into the Western Canada Junior Hockey League, it was called at that time, it was tough hockey. Like uh, uh, all the teams uh, wanted to be like the old Philadelphia Flyers and uh, so on, and lots of fights, lots of brawls and everything else. But uh, it's become a more finesse game right now, more skilled, and uh, players are a lot quicker. The league is a lot quicker. The game itself is so much quicker. I think it's for the better. A lot of people say, oh, I wish there was yeah, I'd fight a few more fights and so on, just to get the adrenaline going. But I, I think the game is so much better now, and it's uh, so fast, and there's so many of these uh, great young players coming up through the ranks and uh, watching the Connor McDavid's and the Andre Seidel's and so on, uh, watching them perform game after game. It's uh, it is a better game, no question about it. And I got to admit, I'm still enjoying it. Here's another really hard one for you to pin down: is you've called five WHL championships and back-to-back Memorial Cup wins for the Tigers. Do you really have a, a favorite memory from all your time with the Tigers and, and the time you've spent around the game? Whether it's one specific moment or just something uh, about your career or about your job that really stands out for you. One thing that uh, the first time the Tigers went to the Memorial Cup was back in 1973. That was at the old Montreal Forum, and uh, my hero of that time was. Sullivan, I think you probably heard that name, even though you're a young guy. And uh, Danny was uh, the broadcaster for uh, national television, also for the Montreal Canadiens. So I got the chance to uh, broadcast uh, the Memorial Cup games out of his broadcast booth at the old Montreal Forum. And that was my first thrill when it came to uh, broadcasting hockey, no question about it. So uh, Danny, Danny Gallivan back in those days was my hero, and he still is. And I had the opportunity to uh, sit in his broadcast booth and uh, broadcast some hockey. So that was a very special moment for me. And, and of course, one thing we really believe in at Hockey Alberta is, of course, hockey hockey for life and what it really means. And you obviously embody that in in so many ways. And for you, you've been involved in hockey in a more non-traditional way, the media side. And it's an incredible way to stay involved in the game and maybe something that people, you know, when when they're coming out of hockey or just like myself, I I wasn't a very good hockey player, but wanted to stay involved with the game, you know. So do you have any advice out there for people who are maybe thinking about going and not just broadcasting, but the media side and being involved with hockey on the other side? Obviously, unfortunately, you know, as we keep seeing those jobs are kind of dwindling a little bit, but there's still lots of opportunity out there and and different ways with the way media changes. So do you have advice for for any of those people who, not even just in broadcasting, but again, uh, to just find a way to stay involved with the game in in a non-playing fashion? Yeah, if you've got a passion for the game and you really enjoy it, there's lots of ways you can stay involved, whether you want to become a broadcaster or whatever. But if you want to become a broadcaster, what I've told a lot of young guys coming up through the ranks, be yourself. Don't try to and uh, copy somebody else and be yourself. And that uh, that particular advice was given to me by Danny Gallivan once. He said, establish your own style and then work on that and perfect it. So that's what I tried to do over the years and it kept me going. But for those that just want to get involved, uh, get involved by uh, maybe doing a little bit of coaching, getting involved in coaching, because I'll tell you, uh, those kids need your help. And uh, just uh, being a volunteer, uh, running people here and there and all over the place going to the rink and saying, hey, I'd like to help out in this end of things. Uh, even becoming an official. They need referees all the time. And uh, there's all kinds of ways to become involved. And but if you want to be a broadcaster, you got to be patient and can't expect a whole lot of money right off the get-go. So, uh, you know, you've got to spend a lot of time and uh, time is very precious for sure. And and that's that's great advice, obviously. I kind of went the broadcasting route a little bit and, and I'm still, still doing those types of things, but obviously now in a little bit different role with Hockey Alberta, but I think it's a great way to go. It's a ton of fun and you get to see the game from the other side as well, which is really, really cool. And last question for you, Bob, and again, probably another tough one. Is there one or maybe like the biggest life lesson that you've taken from the game? Because uh, as I said, you've you've seen a lot and you've had the best seat in the house for it. Life lessons, uh, that is a good question because there's lots of them, but I think uh, probably the main thing is uh, learning how to get along with people because there's all 
different uh, types of people that are involved in the game of hockey. And uh, uh, you've got to learn how to get along with all of them. And some have different ideas than what you may have. And that's uh, their prerogative and so on. So you have to kind of deal with that and uh, just keep that passion going. Like uh, the game is uh, a lot bigger than any of us will ever be. And uh, just remember that. Keep that in mind because uh, if you start thinking you're bigger and better than the game itself, then you're in real trouble. So uh, just have that passion and uh, just uh, re- really enjoy what the game is all about. It's it's about people. And uh, that's what I've always tried to keep in mind. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I said that was the last question, but, you know, I'm thinking <laughs> I, I might get, you know, I'll be remiss if I don't, don't ask you this because in 50 years, you're obviously going to have some good hockey stories and everyone likes a good hockey story. Do you have one that stands out? Just a funny story, obviously, that you can tell without putting anyone else, pun intended, throwing them under the bus or anything. Is there anything in your 50 years, maybe your favorite story you have of uh, whether it's a player, a road trip, anything like that? Well, there's uh, there's lots of them, and uh, you did put me on the spot because uh, I don't really have a favorite one, but uh, there are lots of them. Uh, one that kind of comes to mind, uh, Al Conroy, of course, was a big-time Tiger player back in the early 80s, and um, we were coming out of Regina one night, and uh, this was after the game, of course, about 2 o'clock in the morning. I got pulled over by the RCMP uh, between Moose Jaw and Regina, and I figured, oh, I guess I was, must have been speeding. Well, threw open the, the bus door, and uh, there was a couple of RCMP standing right there and they just motioned to me, please get out of the bus. So I got out of the bus, didn't know what was happening and figured I was kind of shaking in my officers got on the bus and uh, hollered uh, towards the back, Al Conroy, I have to see you. And uh, so for Russ Farwell, he was our general manager, had no idea what was going on. I had no idea what was going on. And uh, so Al Conroy comes to the front of the bus us and he was shaking in his boots he had no idea what he did wrong and uh went down the steps of the bus and and stepped out and here he was faced with his cousin his cousin wanted to say hi to al conroy and uh he was an rcmp officer and they had a little chit chat we went on our merry way but uh that was uh, one incident that caught me totally by surprise and uh i always think back on that and i and i saw how white Al Conroy's face was at the time when he saw those two RCMP officers. And that's, that's, and I think we all know that's about as wild as life on the road gets, right? Yeah. So that's, yeah. So, no, thanks. Yeah, I put you on the spot and appreciate that. But I think we know uh, people, broadcasters, everyone, there's so many great hockey stories. And I know you probably have a, a million of them. And we, we won't keep you any longer because, again, I keep, you're just another person I could talk to for hours and hours. And really appreciate this one. Obviously, when I was getting started in broadcasting, had the opportunity to intern in Medicine Hat and and work under you a little bit and with the Medicine Hat Tigers. So this was really cool for me. I really appreciate it. Uh, sorry I didn't make a, a little bit more of myself, but you know what? That, that's We won't pin that on you. But uh, thanks so much for joining us and sharing these stories. And, and of course, best of luck the rest of the season. Great talking with you. And uh, hey, I'm just a huge supporter of the you know hockey here in Alberta and the uh, Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame, Alberta Sports Hall of Fame, and so on. So you guys just keep up the good work. And when this pandemic goes away, Maybe we can start inducting some more people into those marvelous organizations, okay? And once again, a huge thank you to Bob Ridley for taking the time to chat with us. Another really cool one for me, and just a fantastic person who once again personifies hockey for life. Between chatting with him and Ron McLean, really just shines a light on yet another way to stay involved with the game in a different capacity. And speaking from experience, although it can be a tough road, it's a lot of work, it is absolutely worth it. It is such a cool perspective to see the game, or really any sport, or anything in general. So I really encourage anyone out there who's even the slightest bit interested in media to, to really consider it because it is a great path. And on that note, as we wrap up episode 10 of the Center Ice podcast, a special shout out to a future broadcaster, State student Tyler Coffey, who's currently interning with us here at Hockey Alberta. Uh, he took the reins on editing this episode, so it's pretty fitting for a radio student to be able to edit the voices of two of the absolute best in the business. Uh, sorry to Tyler that he's got to edit my voice as well, but two out of three ain't bad. So thank you, Tyler, for your hard work on this episode. And of course, as always, thank you to producer Steve. Couldn't do this without you, so thanks for all your hard work. And we can't do it without you, the listener, so thanks again for tuning into the Center Ice Podcast. I'm Ted Emmett, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Center Ice Podcast. 
For this episode and more, head to hockeyalberta.ca. If there's a topic you'd like covered on an upcoming episode, email info at hockeyalberta.ca.